0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
3: Get your personalized plan today
2: at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: Attention, collectors of vinyl. Have you ever gone into a record store and felt overwhelmed by all the unfamiliar options? Are you frustrated by the constantly increasing prices of classic rock staples? Do you avoid streaming music or long for the days when music was recommended to you by a friend instead of an algorithm? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then check out I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. Each week, hosts Sean, Jeremy, and Peter discuss an album and the artist's history. Previous episodes include selections by the Isley Brothers, the Carpenters, the Doobie Brothers, and Donna Summer, among others. Become a bargain bin pro and impress all your friends with cool music trivia. Listen to I'd Buy That for a dollar wherever you get your podcasts. Brian Borchard may be best known for his work in the exciting electro-rock band holy F-word, but he's got his own rock project called Dusted, who are playing Guelph's E-Bar on Thursday, December 5th. Dusted, which will feature winter sleep drummer Lowell Campbell, headlined the first evening of the 12th annual edition of Stay Out of the Mall, a benefit for the Canadian Cancer Society Towards Leukemia Research in memory of University of Guelph student Sharon Marshall. The bill also includes Toronto's Marine Dreams, featuring members of Attack in Black, and Guelph's own beautifully scrappy rock band, Esther Gray. Tickets are available online now at Ticketbreak.com or in person at the Bookshelf, where a non-perishable donation to the Guelph Food Bank saves you $2 off of regular admission. Again, Dusted and Friends play the E-Bar on Thursday, December 5th. This venue is not accessible. For more information, please check the Facebook event page or visit Bishkana.com.
3: Creative
1: Control with Vish Hello, and I am sick. I'm sick, I got a thing. I got a thing. I don't know what happened. I was just minding my business last Wednesday, and then I started to feel really dizzy, and I got the chills, and I had to lie down. And then kind of got a little bit better, and then I got a throat thing, and I got a slight cough. It sucks. It sucks. But I am happy to announce that... Uh, Likely one of you listening to this episode has helped this show reach its 100,000th download. So thank you very much for checking out this episode and all the other ones. If you've been doing that, that means a lot. It really does. And uh, I, what can I say? I'll just keep doing this as long as I can. As long as you keep listening, it'll be good. On this episode, a slightly older interview that I conducted with Dallas Good of the Sadies and Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet. Uh, Dallas and uh, his band The Sadies have just released a record called Internal Sounds and uh, they've got some shows coming up in London and Hamilton uh, this week, so I thought I would dig into my archive of stuff I haven't played for you yet, posted for you yet and this is my long, extensive chat with Dallas Good about working in The Sadies Shadowy Men, all the stuff he does and uh, it's a good one I'm happy, I always like talking to Dallas he's very forthcoming with me it's good, so yeah, here it is myself Doubt's good of the Sadie's. Go see them this week and whenever they're playing near you. And uh, I'm just going to go drink some more tea and vitamin C or whatever. All right. Enjoy. If you love listening to vinyl records but wish you had a better way of storing your collection, check out Records on Walls. This Canadian company has created a sleek, simple framing design with no glass that allows you to quickly and simply display your records. They're easy to install on any surface, they fit double LPs and gatefolds, and each unit sells for as little as seven bucks. So, if you love your vinyl and want an accessible way of showing it off, check out recordsonwalls.com. <laughs> Dallas Good is a tremendously gifted multi-instrumentalist from Toronto, Ontario, who is best known for singing and playing guitar in the world's greatest rock and roll band, the Sadies. The hardest-working, most prolific band I know, the Sadies have been conquering this planet one town at a time for almost 20 years, uh, collaborating with a long list of luminaries and making their own mark, making each new album better than the last. Their new record is called Internal Sounds and is available now, courtesy of Outside Records in Canada. And they'll be touring across this country in October. Here now to discuss this further is Dallas Good of the Sadies. Uh, Hi, Dallas. How are you?
2: Hi, Vish. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the kind words.
1: Oh, no, no problem. Uh, First off, uh, more kind words. Congratulations on this new record uh, for what it's worth. It's uh, it's amazing. I love it.
2: Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we're happy with it. It cool. turned out all right.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good one. In the past, you've worked with other producers like uh, like Gary Lewis, and, and and the band has also been credited with producing Sadie's albums uh, on its own. For internal sounds, you're the producer. I'm curious, how did having that designation for the first time actually actually alter your role in recording songs with the Sadies?
2: <laughs> um, interesting. Well, uh, I suppose. Um, it's really to do with the nature of how this album was being made um, the uh, our last album came out in like darker circles I think was 2011 might have been 2010 even like 2010 I forget now but um, in the inter or, like since the releasing that album we've we put out the Andre Williams record we made one with uh, Roger Knox the good family um, and uh, so this album Uh, We've been sort of piecing and chipping away at for for a few years as opposed to what we normally do Which would be a lot a designated time frame hire all the everybody that we need to come in at that time Mm -hmm. and get to work and so because of that the producing role in this album was a lot to do with time management and um, because of that Gary Lewis uh, Greg Keeler even Steve Albini, who, you know, cringes at the title of producer, they've all functioned as fantastic argument settlers, you know, <laughs> uh, when the four of us are trying to sort something out or even just bring something else to the equation. Um, and so this time the guys sort of uh, kind of gave me a, a, a bit more um, power, especially on my songs, which uh, were the first to come into the to the studio. Mm-hmm. So um I I guess I had them kinda of more mapped out than normal. And um well basically yeah, from there, um that resulted in uh Guillermo, uh the Sadie's front of house sound man and, and also the uh the recording engineer for the project. Um we worked a lot together, um one on one and then of course mixing the album with Peter Moore, that was just the two of us mm-hmm. um for a long time. So I mean, the guys kind of gave me the credit more as a, as a tip of the hat, thanking me for, for you know, the extra, curricular work that I did. I guess.
1: Okay, so you feel um, you feel. Like that you... I
2: also had a hand in helping on all the songs, sort of in the way Gary would do in the past, as in like offering up alternate lyric options or even some melody things, and then as the sort of way to. To fall back on everything and be comfortable for sure was we called Gary in to um, uh, work with Travis and myself when we did all the vocals over a short span of time. Like we, I think it was like three or four days where we sang the majority of the vocals on the album, and that was crucial to have Gary Lewis's presence because we've just gotten grown so comfortable working with him as a vocalist, lyricist, producer, friend.
1: Right, okay, so, yeah. so you did have some external uh, help there. The vocals are interesting. And I
2: always, I kind of always had his, uh, his voice in my ear. You know, Gary Lewis was the devil on my shoulder on this album kind of thing.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, unfortunately, um, well, we all had busy times since we saw each other last, and I know that Gary went through a few personal struggles and stuff on his own, and oh, now he's doing great, but that all interfered with my busy schedule.
1: <laughs> oh, okay I, I understand you know the vocals you mentioned the vocals and i i spoke to you about this the other day i i find it interesting how many instances there are on this record where the kind of arrangements are uh, frenetic in, in their own way and and then the vocals are kind of even like they're kind of not they don't necessarily sync up with the energy of the music they they kind of are this balance they, they kind of balance it out in, in a way do you know what i'm talking about
2: well, um, I know that these songs were um, sort of created more, um, or at least in the in the case of a few songs that you and I did discuss, the first five minutes and um, the very beginning, I believe it was called. Uh, those two songs, the melody and the music were written um, a year before I was able to complete the last sentence. It was like the completely impossible crossword puzzle to finish or something, but I just stuck with it. <laughs> So um, at least those two songs in particular, um, I felt that you know we it was very important to have it uh, have the music and the lyrics completely bonded as one and no separation from head and state. It's not a singer songwriter album, or at least the songs we're now currently discussing have nothing to do with that sort of uh, platform. (laughs) Right. So yeah, um, if that's what you mean, uh, then then yeah.
1: Yeah, there's Um, there's that and and uh what, what, what's it called the one about uh i want to ask you about it some more but another tomorrow again has the same kind of thing where there's just like a lot of stuff going on underneath and then these kind of like fairly measured <laughs> like vocals and i just it's an interesting i just like i i kind of enjoy it i like the kind of juxtaposition of those two things
2: <laughs> well thank you um we uh i, I in those cases um again because we had more time on this album we were able to um basically rehearse the songs a little more um before going in yeah so uh, a lot of times there's a certain level of immediacy where we're pretty much learning songs in studio or you know not learning them but um you know uh, <laughs> Yeah, learning them. <laughs> uh, it's like a whole different world that the the thinking process between being in the studio and being on stage. You know. Yeah. And uh, we tried to bring a little bit of the the stage mentality to the studio this time.
1: Right. Yeah. Earlier, you were talking about how, as uh, in the, in your role as a producer, you would offer uh, melody advice, lyric advice. And my understanding is that you and your brother Travis are generally writing. Well, first of all, you and Travis are singing the songs, and. and I guess that leads me to believe that you, you two generally write the lyrics for Sadie's songs, right?
2: Generally. Um, uh, Mike contributes on every single song, uh, as is Sean. Sean lately has been more just contributing with a gold star, but that's still a complete and total contribution. You know, to have the confidence to know that everybody checked it out and, you know, walked away happy is good. So, whereas, you know, obviously if Mike isn't going to be singing the song live, um, maybe that lends itself more towards working harder on an incomplete song with Travis or something like that you know mm-hmm. there's there's been some of that um but uh yeah everybody contributes um to everything Okay. like the you know to the lyrics everything if not for anything else to spell check and <laughs> things like that you know it, there's uh yeah just because I took the producer chair doesn't mean that um it's an iron throne.
1: (laughs) Well, I want to ask about that. Like, what is the dynamic between, I mean, between you and Travis in particular, your brothers, what is it like when you're essentially the boss in the studio? How does that work?
2: Well, um, see, with the Sadies, being the boss is not being the producer. We don't really tolerate that. We've always been, like I said, a complete and total democracy. So, it's a one of four scenario. I'm offering ideas that people were or not people, but the Sadie's were embracing. So, I mean, it was ultimately part and parcel with delivering a finished product um, before I was even able to get that title. <laughs> but yeah, this is this conversation is really weird. I'm not prepared for it.
3: Oh, okay. That's
2: and <laughs> I, I, No, I feel very awkward is all I'm saying. Oh, not that I'm not prepared for it. I just never really thought about or discussed it. I just took it as a compliment that I got the producer role and I didn't really think about it from there. But yeah, um, I uh, I recognize everything you're saying and, and um, I just don't like thinking... Like maybe, maybe it's not <laughs> worth
1: maybe it's not worth thinking about in some way i don't know if you've done many interviews for the record yet but maybe uh I imagine... no this is
2: my first okay so, well... i mean I, I haven't really thought about it but i mean one thing i can say is that um you know on, on that front um when i was in the mixing chair for several of the sadie's albums um it was always fully under the understanding that if anybody was even remotely unhappy with what they were hearing A, I could change it, or B, they'd be welcome to step in as well. Right. You know, um, it's just been sort of a job that I've been really happy to take, and it's something I feel like I excel in and really enjoy. And the guys kind of give me that um, opportunity to do that, and so the producer credit is just an extension of that.
1: Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good to distinguish that. I I think it's important. I mean, at the same time, it's in bold letters on the record, so. It you know, and it's the first time you've been in that position officially. Totally, yeah. first time, yeah. absolutely. Yeah,
2: um, I, I also produced the Good Family album earlier this year, mm-hmm. which was my very first production credit. And,
1: so, and yeah, how 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 would you compare the two experiences? Because that one you're corralling not just your band, a whole other band, and then other people as well. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of people that kind of manage. And then, I mean, this one I assume well, was more comfortable.
2: Yeah. Um, it was. I mean, the, the, like, when producing, I suppose you do a lot of one-on-one work as well as, like, you know, addressing an entire group of people. And mm-hmm. so in the case of uh, The Good Family Record, again, it was, the credit is due to just the songwriting contributions and mixing and argument settling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's fair. That's maybe, maybe. I think some people don't really know what a producer does. And I mean, you earlier you were alluding to the fact that Steve Albini doesn't like to be credited as a producer because he's an excellent engineer and he lets the bands kind of do their thing and make those decisions. Oh yeah,
2: if I, if I did a take or, you know, if I did a, a performance with Steve Albini and I wasn't very confident with the performance, I would nervously ask him, like, uh, what did you think, Steve? And in his total completely unbiased non-opinion would say uh sounds like a juno dallas (laughs) 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 and so steve taught me to to get thicker skin which is a really great thing to have in the studio because you know um i've heard other people say a producer's job is just a psychologist you know just trying to get people to perform better and not melt down because it's obviously pretty tense in the studio
1: right but you've uh, had you've had the experience of someone like you've worked with gary lewis who is a really respected musician and uh, in his own right and steve is steve is as well but i don't gather that uh he would have offered like why don't you change this chord to this chord or whatever like i don't get the never
2: ever he would not do that he might say he prefers one chord to the other if i if asked but um you know, and that was why we loved working with Steve in the early days because we were a live band. We were taking our live set from the stage to the studio to try and document it. And there's no bells and whistles on that record and we did it, you know, with Steve's um, excellent equipment in probably like I think it was two days, maybe five days with a mix. Yeah. And um, that was our philosophy at the time. And I think those records suffered from that philosophy because Frankly, bells and whistles make records sound good.
3: Right, right.
2: <laughs> so that's why we moved away from working with Steve. But, um, you know, we still know who to go to when we're making, uh, for example, a live record, which we use Steve for right. or whatever. Right. Um, and so, you know, as we kind of, jeez, this sounds so silly, but as we kind of grow in the studio, you know, um, we want to experiment more and screw around and put reverb on those bells and whistles. and uh that was actually how gary and i came together in the first place was not from my love of the jayhawks or his love of the sadies but more of our mutual love for other 60s bands that um that we you know we yeah swap records talking about how cool they sound thinking we should do that yeah (laughs) and it worked (laughs) we really i really love working with gary it was a great experience well we've been lucky i like working with everyone we've worked with if not we walk
1: right <laughs> you mentioned the 60s bands and uh i i know you guys admire the band a little bit and sometimes it comes through in your work and i mean you've you've frequently cover a, a band song live. Um, uh, but well, not the band. Canadian
2: Squires, but yeah, fair so enough. Sorry, sorry, that's right. Chavez, is a, Chavez and Sean are definitely big fans of the band, no question. Right. Carry and,
1: on. Well, I was just going to say, I've never, I like that you pointed out it's the Canadian Squires. That's very particular of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the song you do is Leave Me Alone, right? Yeah. And, and that's, a, I mean, that's a song that basically by a, a an early version of the band. Before yeah. the before the Hawks, yeah, we
2: we recorded that with Garth Hudson on our live record.
1: Right there, you go. There you have it. So Garth
2: Hudson's in the band. He plays keyboards.
1: I know. I know who he <laughs> yeah. is. Well, I guess people <laughs> listening might not know. But yeah, okay. So I'm got...
2: fricking with everybody. <laughs> don't worry.
1: So you've got a little connection to the band. But what I was going to say is, I, I don't know that I've heard their influence as much as I do in Travis's song "So Much Blood." Um, the, the, right. the the singing, lyrics, the arrangement. It seems like a really big nod to them. Um, can you speak to that were the band an influence on that song I guess you just said that Travis is big into them but
2: uh... um, I would say yes because I've heard the song and I agree with you I mean it's a slow kind of ballad song with mandolin and keyboards in it and stuff and you know uh, sure like if you're if you're struggling to to describe that song drawing a band comparison would not be a stretch yeah um, but uh, so absolutely no question but um, having said that I don't think and i could be wrong but i don't think that travis set out to write a song that even remotely sounded like them i have the feeling that it was more you know the product of like kind of what travis does well which is he's a really great mandolin player he doesn't really play it very often because he's always stuck to the fiddle and guitar but Mm -hmm. um that song kind of showcases his his mandolin and you know it's a it's certainly a formula that the band created and um one that we don't really have on our stage. So it was, again, there's a good example of some bells and whistles for you.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> By the way, I, was, uh, I noticed the mandolin, but I also noticed it wasn't credited on the record. Are you aware of this?
2: course i'm aware of it i'm the producer god damn it
1: <laughs> yeah, i just looked at travis's credits. Too many letters yeah that's right yeah it doesn't work make as much sense
2: all but... right it's an oversight i didn't notice that no but uh i i don't think it would take a rocket scientist to figure out who the mandolin player was
1: yeah no it's it's, it's a wonderful song and i i like it but i it just everything about it just screams to me about the band and i I, as i say i mean i think like the, the thing is the sadies are often associated with folk and country music but i i know you actually come from punk and garage rock and and this record seems to exhibit the most tension between you know intense crunchy fast songs and then more slow to mid-tempo things which are still like intense in their own way like the very beginning and story 19 each have this edge to them even though they have totally different feels um i'm curious is it ever difficult to balance those worlds for the band I mean, the
3: Sadie's?
2: Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, luckily, no, because I would say that that's kind of our biggest strength. I mean, at least on our stage, in our mind, I don't know how it translates, but I mean, that's what we have in common when we're when we're actually playing. Um, uh, this is the sort of the styles that were, not styles, but, you know, the sounds that we're most comfortable emulating or drawing from or whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which isn't even fair. I mean, it's, it's essentially like saying, oh, um, you use, uh, skates from the sixties. So therefore you're a, uh, a psychedelic hockey player. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we just, you know, we incorporate the sounds we like and we make the songs that the only songs that we're capable of making and go from there. Um, but, uh, I know what you're saying, because like, I've said it before. Like My biggest fear with working with somebody like Andre Williams is sounding like the, the commitments or some crap like that. you know? Yeah. Um, like, I, if the music doesn't have authenticity and, and vitality, then it's not even worth listening to, of course. And nobody wants to hear you regurgitate the, the last big thing or even the next big thing. Like, it's just a matter of doing what you do as well as you can do it, and that's kind of where we're at it's pretty easy to see if, you were, if anyone was stupid enough to take the time to go through all of our records, they could definitely see an evolution of songwriting and you know, recording chops, I guess you could say. Yeah. And a lot of that evolution has changed from the artists we've worked with. And you know, some of that said, authenticity or vitality has come to us, has been bestowed to us by others.
3: <laughs> right, right. And
2: I, I like that. And Garth is certainly on that list of givers. You know, yeah, I we've mean, worked a lot with Garth Hudson, so I think having a bit of a band influence comes you know has come to us honestly. He's sat in with us a dozen times, if not once um and yeah, we've recorded with him a lot, be it on his record or uh we've yeah, whatever uh, you see what I'm saying
1: I do, and, and I mean um, the the sort of cross section between Garth Hudson and John Doe or. John Spencer and Neil Young, I mean there are very few entities I can think of that can claim you know lay claim to working with such a you know an eclectic array of people who come from basically totally different worlds, but you're kind of this weird nucleus for them
3: <laughs> well,
2: yeah, that's true, um but you know again, we sort of come about that honestly too. we've been around for nearly twenty years, so I mean we and we we are committed to doing this as. What we do all the time, so it does lend itself to working with others. Obviously, whenever time permits, and uh, the only threat of that is spreading yourself way too thin. And I think in our case, it doesn't matter because we're not going anywhere. And in our case, we actually learn from these artists. So you know, it just makes the next record hypothetically better. Yeah. But again, these are all just theories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can hear him right now, but my cat Gary is eating a uh, really crunchy cat food. And uh, I, I'm hearing it. I don't know if you can hear Gary eating.
2: I'm eating uh, really crunchy cat food, too. Oh, okay. So well, there's some kinship I there. I thought that with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you've done very well by... One of the reasons I want to ask about this tension is because you. I, I've watched the band play in different contexts. You've done very well by folk festival audiences in Canada. And I don't want to pigeonhole that audience, because when you play a folk festival or any kind of festival in, in this country or anywhere... You're obviously playing to a very broad general audience. They're not necessarily yours, and I've seen you win win that audience over, and that's all well and good. But I sometimes I wonder if you, and I don't know if you care about this, but do you think punks are paying enough attention to the Sadies? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think like? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, I don't know if we have enough to offer, Uh, but uh, I, I. I do appreciate uh, what you're saying about how diverse a folk festival audience is, because, yeah, and using the word pigeonhole, uh, because, yeah, I mean, your first instinct is middle of the road <laughs> when you think of a folk festival. Yeah. And that's just not the case anymore. However, you're always going to get that crazy demographic of five-year-old hippie kids and 90-year-old conservatives, and and that's... Definitely an even fair playing field, and I love to be able to reach people of you know, different demographics and even if they 're like, eh, the last song sucked, but this one 's not bad that 's fine um, and I suppose that we 're not hated <laughs> you know um, even if we 're not loved and adored, and uh, that 's good enough for me
3: okay
2: so you know uh, again, we do what we do uncompromisingly we don 't fit into. A sort of niche, or you know, um, you know what I'm saying. We're we're not a really. It's easy to describe our music, but it's not easy to put us in a clear-cut category where we could tour with other bands that sound like us and stuff like that. Yeah. And so obviously that's going to be a bit of a setback in certain circumstances, but in others it works to our favor. And the folk festival is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. regardless, we just we have fun when we play, so you know we just do our set. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah yeah yeah. no i mean i know you've i mean the other day i saw you play with uh career suicide and um which is a hardcore band from toronto if people don't know and and jonah falco a fucked up is in it and and i mean that's just uh i feel like that's an itch that you need to scratch every once in a while is that fair
2: well and the coolest part about that is i'm a huge fan of career suicide and fucked up i'm frankly i've even leaned a little heavier towards career suicide because um they're so fast and amazing yeah. and uh to have Martin, Jonah, and John and Dave all. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.
1: Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post.
2: All the band members individually tell me that they've had a experience seeing Mercedes or they like us for whatever reason was like you know, it, it it really did mean the world to me. I got to be honest, as cheesy as it sounds. So maybe that is touching on that acceptance that you're referring to about the the, the hardcore community or whatever. But I mean, until we make. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, again, that's like saying, why the hell hasn't the reggae community embraced our music? <laughs> we smoke pot.
3: <laughs>
2: like, you know, I listen to reggae. They should love me.
3: <laughs>
2: it's such a left turn, Vish, and it, it's really, it's, it's kind of neither here nor there. But um, what is, is the opportunity to reach more people. And that's kind of why I'm doing the interview right now and why I'm happy to, to play a, a hardcore festival. So... Yes, if Warp Tour wants us, we're available in 2014. <laughs> then yeah. again, I don't think there's any real punk rock fans on the Warp Tour. Ooh, hey-oh. <laughs> <a-o. laughs> okay, I take that back. No, I no. haven't been to Warp Tour.
1: <laughs> I think I feel like uh, I'm only asking this question because I have a certain amount of knowledge and information about where you're coming from, and I feel like when I so when I hear the Sadies, it's just a different experience for some people. Just knowing what I know, and, and for people like me who kind of know where you're coming from. I just wonder. If and last it's...
2: time we spoke, you you debuted my punk rock band from nineteen eighty seven. That's right. On your show.
1: That's right. Force of so, habit. Uh... Force of habit. That was fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, Visha, I got no secrets from you, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just I just am curious about it. I want to ask about uh, another tomorrow again because it, uh, it this is like a theme song for a band that's always on the road. Maybe I, I mean it's not like the Monkees theme song, but it. <laughs> kind of, in my mind, it conjures this image of the Sadies loading and unloading their van in a different city every day, maybe in like super you, fast motion.
2: <laughs> you know how some people say like, oh, I wrote that song. It was like, you know, I was inspired or like I was touched by fucking the voice of God. And uh-huh. I, I wrote that song in 20 minutes. <laughs> well, I did write that song in 20 minutes, but I don't think that it's much of a leap. Like, obviously, I don't I think it would have been crazy if it had taken me longer than that.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> But it was... uh they talk about immediacy. That song is the only one where it was just kind of like a cakewalk to write. And I don't even know if we'll ever do it live, but, uh, Gary Luris, when I sent him the lyrics to that one, he was like, ah, geez, the quote was something along the lines of, you don't have to be Yeats, Keats, or bloody (laughs) Rimbaud all the time. And essentially that, yeah, a lot of poets quote, including himself, (laughs) like to, uh, I could probably pull up the quote right now if I look hard enough. Well, I'm just, <laughs> I don't want to misquote him, but no, basically, you're no, saying you don't have to be pretentious <laughs> to be clever. <laughs>
1: no, it's a clever and, song, uh, but it's also very literal. Like it's actually one of the most literal songs I've heard you uh, come up with.
2: Yeah, I suppose that's true. Depending on how you look at it, see, you interpreted that as being literal to being a band on the road, but
1: it could be about anything.
2: It's not necessary exactly how <laughs> clever is that <laughs> right in the mind <laughs> now, i don't know it just
1: i mean am i off on that like i don't i know you don't want to give too much Nah, time. you're not
2: off on that i'm yeah. just teasing
3: yeah
1: no it's a it's a cool um, song and i i just am curious if it's like a is it just a i guess i'm curious what prompted you to reflect upon the life of the band at this point because you had a thing uh, you had a thing happen when i hear the song by the way there's like stuff about, you know, uh and I can't remember the exact lyric and you can tell me, but it's basically like sometimes shit happens. And uh, uh Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It'll it will happen once in a while. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sometimes shit happens every once in a while. And you had an, a situation. So many miles. You had a situation where you were on the road and you broke your leg. And uh that's, true. that's what it made me think of. Like, you know, sometimes you're going to be on the road and this was crazy. Like this was in Saskatch- in Saskatoon. You guys were supposed to play a show, you went out to eat or something, and then you fell on some ice, and you broke your leg, and you couldn't play the show. But the Sadies, I think probably for the first time ever, played a show without you. Yes. Which is Those crazy.
2: jerks. <laughs> <laughs> How insensitive is that? <laughs> Sorry. No, that was really, really good of them. It was, uh, it was a really weird uh, experience. Uh, it was a severe break. on um, Both the tibula and fibula were... All the way through you know so my my foot was pointing left <laughs> as my you know my leg was pointed south oh, <laughs> uh so yeah um anyhow um it was uh like when it first happened i was thinking well you know put a cast on i'll do the show tonight sitting down it's fine but like it was um i had no idea how severe a broken leg could be it really messed me up yeah i, w- I wasn't able to put any weight whatsoever on it for three months because of the the plates and stuff. So yeah, twelve weeks of zero contact to the floor, and then another twelve weeks of basically casted, caned, or or whatever. And it was so funny because I was I looked at my lyrics. Obviously, I had nothing else to do. I was looking at the lyrics i had been working on up until that point. The stuff sort of post darker circles, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And it was all making these figurative references to being broken (laughs) oh and like i guess that was the clever angle i was going to take to my next album kind of thing of being like (laughs) it was broke down and then i was like now that it's literal it's all gross i just scrapped it all
3: (laughs) oh wow interesting
2: so yeah well whatever i'm rambling but yeah it's just a weird coincidence
1: so that experience the experience you had it didn't uh inform this record in, in any particular way
2: Well, I mean, my x-ray is the cover of the album, and it's called Internal Sounds, based on the sound of my leg cracking inside my body, which was actually kind of baffled by all the blood and muscles, so it was more like a... than a crack, (laughs) and it was so disgusting, and at one point I described it as like, yeah, the internal sound was so...
1: Well, I didn't. I'm just looking at the album cover now, and because it's all distorted, I didn't even pick up that they were X-rays. But now that I'm looking, no, that's the way it looked. Really?
2: No, (laughs) this
1: is some kind of infrared. This is like some kind of thing where, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be. I imagine if someone were on acid and they looked at X-rays, this is what it might look like. You know, it's all like, again, I don't do any drugs. I've never done any drugs, so I don't know what you can. Oh, I do, (laughs)
2: and I've never seen anything like that on acid. But having said that yeah it affects everybody differently, and I know what you're saying yeah, anyway it's just
1: like kind of psychedelic thing and uh yeah anyway it's uh, it makes
2: your eyes hurt and x-rays don't usually so it yeah.
1: so basically the experience totally did inform at least the album artwork and the album title so that's interesting and then I don't know like did that thing when you fell and and when you had when you recovered were you spooked about the road in any way
2: um no not about the road because but unfortunately, I had to get back to work way before I was ready to. Um, and so that was a drag for everyone involved. I mean, it just meant everybody's job was harder. But it was also really like, I mean, it was the third day of our our tour um, to support the Darker Circles album. Um, and so it also obviously messed with the momentum of that album. It messed with um, <laughs> everybody's paychecks, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know. Like, it, to say the least, I mean, you know, I, I just, there were so many people depending on my presence. <laughs> so um, that was a drag, having both the pressure of not being healed and wanting everyone to get back to work and stuff like that. But so it also meant that the majority of our shows surrounding that time also suffered, <laughs> if they even happened. Um, But, you know, whatever, as I said in the song, after so many miles, shit will happen once in a while.
1: Yeah, 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 totally.
2: And uh, it could have been a lot worse, obviously, and I've, although this would be ridiculous, uh, this is ridiculous for me to say after this interview, but I don't generally like to dwell
3: on things like that too much. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) No, that's
1: fine. I just, as I say, when I heard the song, it just... it, it conjured very visual images for me about a band on the road, and it, it made me. It just, for some reason, it uh, kind of struck me that uh, you actually had a bad experience on the road, and I just wondered how that impacts you because you, you guys spend so much time traveling and playing. That's that's the only reason I brought it up. So, oh uh, wow, this
2: isn't even the first time I've broken a leg on tour. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> I broke I broke an ankle on tour with uh, Sadie's and Nico in like '97 or something like that, '98. Oh, man. 1998. What are you, you brittle-bones? <laughs> you, you got brittle-bones? Not bones? 1890. No, man, I just live hard and <laughs> kick hippies' asses and raise hell, man.
1: <laughs> uh, you have Buffy St. Marie on this record, and that's a... It's a I pretty- know! Oh, my
2: God. <laughs> the greatest woman I've ever met. Sorry, greatest living being.
1: <laughs> Isn't she... I, I got to hang out with her a little bit in uh, Dawson City, and uh, I forget where else, somewhere else. Oh, at the hillside as well. Anyway, She's fantastic. Uh, oh yeah, how did this relationship uh, working relationship come about
2: well i'm a huge fan, and uh I suppose word was able to get back to her through our um our mutual booking agency pecan mm-hmm. entertainment and um, she came to one of our shows uh, in Winnipeg this is probably five years ago, maybe longer, and had never met us before or anything just came in the dressing room, said hi and then Performed Codine, um, Soulful Shade of Blue, which is a song we recorded with Nico Case,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: um, Little Wheel Spin and Spin, which is one of my favorite songs ever. And uh, it was just so cool that she was just like willing to throw herself into the fire like that at one of our shows. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, because I, so I used that as an in to stay in touch with her over the years. <laughs> right. And uh, I had always you know hope that we could collaborate on something together and then the song in question uh we started recording it before i'd even spoken with her and it's an experiment in uh 432 hertz um the pythagorean tuning or pythagorean theory um you probably don't want me to get into it now it's it's, it's, whatever it's silly but
3: let's just suffice
2: it to say that it's in an alternate tuning that uh that uh, enabled the instruments to uh, resonate much, much louder. Um, they're all acoustic instruments that we use. Oh, I think we use one feedback guitar in the end, but for the most, ba- most part, it's all acoustic instruments. But given the tuning and stuff, um, it got pretty psych. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we had this song that essentially was just a chaos, free form, it's kind of noise. Piece, I guess. I mean, not that I would ever make a piece of music in, with that in mind, but it was long at drones. It is what it is, and I was hoping that Buffy could contribute maybe some mouth bow to it because I'm a big fan of some of the uh, the songs that she contributed to the performance soundtrack that Jack Nietzsche recorded. Um, oh,
3: okay.
2: Where she just plays mouth bow and sings, uh, and essentially doing vocables too, just uh, haunting melodies and tones more than words um so i i kind of envisioned something like that and then when we spoke i I sent her the song and she heard it and she was like man this is really trippy we can do something very like you know uh like uh sort of ayahuasca style or something with this piece and um she already had uh the 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 lyrics um in mind that they're they come from this Oh Geez, I'm not exactly sure. The Rainbow Family of Light, I think they're called, oh. um, it's a bunch of hippies that uh, get together uh, quite frequently. And and they had kind of this, this, this campfire song that they had asked Buffy to write several lyrics for back in like 1971. And she had gotten around to writing it, but not recording it. And so she figured it was kind of a good way to, you know, kind of do both at once. <laughs> And I was so blown away with the results of, you know, and just the fact that she was willing to get on board, like it was very selfless for her to do that. Because mm. like I said about 10 minutes ago when I started this, the longest sentence in the world, was <laughs> that uh, um, she, uh, she was essentially revisiting work that she had done earlier in her career. There was a big influence on me on that song, um, you know, specifically songs like Poppies from Illuminations or whatever. Um, They're really great songs that move me in a special way, and I was hoping she would do something like that for me. And I just can't—I still can't believe she was willing to do it, and that we were able to uh, kind of get what I was looking for. There's an example. There's an example of my producer skills. Yeah, yeah. I I got Buffy on
1: board. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's it's a great little. It's a great way to end the record too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that you're ever surprised about who wants to work with you at this point. I mean. It seems like uh, it seems like everyone wants to do it. It's some. I, I bet you could talk. I bet you could work with anyone you want to work with. <laughs> All
2: right, <laughs> let's 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 think about that for a while.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying, it does seem to inevitably. It seems to come to pass. It's great. I mean, I, I'm I'm very happy for you that it seems to be working out.
2: Thanks, man. You still got James Williamson's phone number? Uh, I do, actually.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I could probably all pass right. that along.
2: <laughs> I'm going to call him up. I got some computer problems.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a computer guy. Um, yeah, he's not just the yeah. niggie in the students. He'll fix your... He'll wire your house, I think, is what he can do. Um, well, I appreciate all the insight about internal sounds. Are there any other... Uh, Gosh, this is such a loaded question for someone like you about any other plans. Like we mentioned, I saw you with Career Suicide over the summer. I saw you playing with Richard Reed Perry from Arcade Fire. Uh, You've got shadowy men on a shadowy planet. I mean, what what are you not doing? What's going on, Dallas, with all this stuff?
2: (laughs) Well, um, basically, I've had a bit of time on my hands. It's been really great. Um, So uh, as for anything up and coming, I've always been opposed to... Um, hype, hyping something before it exists. So um, let's just say I intend to keep busy, and so the 80s we have a lot of things to look forward to. But um, in the meantime, we're just focusing on this album.
1: Right. And beyond the shadowy men on a shadowy planet residency at the Dakota, are there other? Are there any other plans in that uh, for that band?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, so the main reason that we kind of wanted to do the Dakota shows was just uh, not the main reason, but a reason. Make it clear that it's not the most precious thing in the world for us to dust off Reed's base for a show. Um, we're, we're happy to do, you know, when time permits, when, sorry, uh, when time permits, um, we're totally happy to do shows. Um, sadly, time doesn't permit very often, but we do int- like, I'm just, I love their company and I'm kind of at their disposal when Sadie lets me. So, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah. We, we have yeah. every intention of doing shows next year to, uh, support reissues i imagine and onward and
1: upward right and you've got the uh as we're speaking it hasn't happened yet i don't know when this is going to be posted <laughs> but uh yeah. you've also got the uh, alice cooper uh thing coming up uh where you guys are going to do love it to death again um well we
2: just spent so much work on it for the workshop that we figured that we might as well just do it once more while it's still sort of in our minds okay before. so
3: right.
2: and uh and also, I mean, it was for a workshop. It was a very exclusive event. And we have a lot of friends in Toronto. And we love the coop. So.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, and
2: it's kind of, it's a bit of a last hurrah, too, because I'll be hitting the road in October for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. And then you've got, also, I didn't even mention the Good Family. My goodness, there's just so much going on. <laughs> and I guess, as you say, it's just, it's all in the future. You don't know what's going to come of it. And, and you'll, I guess when it happens, well, you'll let me know when the
2: good family record came out uh we did uh somewhere between half a dozen and a dozen shows so what's that nine <laughs> i don't know uh somewhere around there we I, we did a bunch of shows this summer and they went really well and i figure we'll certainly do more n- next year but um yeah basically i'm like i said i'm kind of on uh a different different month of the calendar
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, that's as I say, it was great to ch- chat with you about uh, this new album. And I want to tell people that uh, the new Sadies record, Internal Sounds, is a, an amazing one and it's available now courtesy of Outside Records in Canada. And they will be touring across Canada throughout uh, October. And you can learn more about them at the sadies.net. And as I say, best band, best band. Go see them if you haven't already. They're just the best band. Uh, so.
2: Thank you so much, Vish. You're too kind. (laughs) It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Uh, Dallas, before we go, is there a song from uh, Internal Sounds that we should uh, play for people? I know we've we've talked about a lot of them.
2: But not all of them. Yeah, you know what? Um, I mean, it's not maybe the most indicative song of of what the album sounds like, but um, that's irrelevant. There's a song on the album called Story 19, and um, I I wrote that... um, with actually, uh, with help from my friend, Mike stacks from ugly things and balloons. Um, and it was written as a living tribute to my friend, Ronnie splinter from the band, the outsiders Hmm. of one of my all time favorite Dutch bands. And, uh, sorry, one of my all time favorite bands that happened to be Dutch. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And anyhow, um, but very, very underrated. And, um, Again, uh, we were lucky enough to have Ronnie sit in with us one night in Amsterdam at the Paradiso, and do an Outsider song, play my guitar. It was great, and we've been friends ever since. And he had agreed to perform on this song. Um, and uh, sadly, his health was failing, but you know, still, he would heard the song. He loved it. He said that uh, that I was reminiscent of Wally Tax, who's the singer of uh, of The Outsiders. So that was hugely flattering too. Huh. And uh, anyhow, yeah, uh, sadly, he succumbed to, uh, to esophagus cancer um, mm-hmm. three days before the record was completed. So we weren't able to have him perform on the album. And uh, now the song isn't a living tribute. But uh, let it be said, The Outsiders are amazing. And um, yeah, and so is Ronnie. And mm-hmm. so the song goes out to him.
3: I
1: appreciate it.
2: The Outsiders it. Had, a, they had a song called Story 16. And so, yeah.
1: Okay, that explains the title. Okay, well, it's a... And I
2: appreciate the opportunity to tell that story, too, because, frankly, I kind of... I don't like it when bands are just like,
1: oh, Rad,
2: we love this band, so we're going to do a tribute to how awesome they are when they have really no affiliation with them whatsoever. Because uh, What I mean by that is a couple of the lyrics are actually references to outsider songs. Oh, Um, I see. um, The Sun is Going Down is a great one. Um, Tears Are Falling From My Eyes is a great one. Those are literal lyrics that I you know, incorporated. So let's just say that while he lived, I did have Ronnie's blessing and well, that was something.
1: That's <laughs> It's amazing that, uh, I mean, I would have had no idea about any of those things and uh, I appreciate you spilling the beans about it. And I also just even the title, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about this and it's uh, maybe it's not that interesting a point, but I, I have noticed the Sadies have been having fun with titles lately on their, on their records. <laughs> There's lots of like kind of inside well, like, the within each record, there's sort of jokes and relations, like, all the songs are like, uh, the very beginning, starting all over again, the very ending, another tomorrow again, another yesterday again, like, it's all kind of... And then on
2: Darker Circles, we had another year again and another day again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, basically, song titles are no fun. <laughs> so if we can make them remotely fun, or even just memorable for our set, uh, then... That's the MO. Okay. Hey, that's kind of funny you should mention that because The Lesser Key was actually called The Song for the Mekons. Wow. <laughs> and then Mike pointed out that that Will Oldham has a song called <laughs> Song for the Mekons et al, which I just couldn't believe. I was like, what the hell kind of coincidence is that? I mean, <laughs> if, I, if my song was called The Power of Love or something, I'd be like, okay, sure. There's like probably going to be 5,000 other songs with that stupid, stupid title. But no, <laughs> it's song for the Mekons, and it was taken. So naturally, I just went to one of my demon, uh, you know, uh, uh, invocation books called The Lesser Key of Solomon. Oh, okay. I have an original mm-hmm. pressing. That I'm quite fond of.
1: I like that you said one of my <laughs> one of my demon invocation books. That, that suggests there's a whole <laughs> library of them.
2: No, well, it's my best.
1: Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. That's cool. Well, this is the Sadie's with Story Nineteen. Dallas, good. uh, Always a great pleasure to uh, talk to you. Thank you for your time.
2: Totally my pleasure, Vee. Thank you. Check out the Outsiders.
1: of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree news That's
3: amazon.com newsadfree news to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation.